0: Welcome back to the Volunteer
1: State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside the Knoxville News Sentinels, John Adams and Adam Sparks. And we are about one week away from Tennessee's season opener against Ball State. We're going to leave that season opener talk for next week's edition. This week, we want to get into, I guess, some future scheduling, really. We've, We've talked before about... Uh, what that future scheduling might look like in the SEC, the possibility of going to a nine-game schedule, what that means for rivalries, but it seems as if we're gaining a little clarity, and believe the nine-game SEC schedule has a little momentum. So, Adam, can you bring us up to speed first off on if this nine-game schedule does eventually get approved by the SEC, going from eight to nine SEC games, we know divisions would go away, and each team in the SEC would have three permanent opponents and six rotating opponents. What do we know about what Tennessee's three opponents might look like?
2: Well, I mean, the we asked Josh Hopple about this, not that he really gets a vote and it's more ADs and at the conference level, but uh, he said he thought it would be Vanderbilt, Alabama, Kentucky. I, I think if you polled everybody around the SEC, that's generally the – the thinking you would get. I mean, the thing is if you think about the school that you cover or the school that you're at, what makes the most sense for them? It's, it's maybe not that difficult, but then you have to pair that with everybody else and everybody has sort of has to be happy. And there are some overlap overlaps in there. It's, it's really not hard to come up with three with most opponents. In fact, I think some you could come up with four or five that makes sense as a permanent opponent. I mean, I, I think, I mean, Vanderbilt's an obvious one, in-state, longtime rival. Alabama, I think, makes a lot of sense because you want to balance it out. You're playing, you know, historically the worst team in the conference, so you know, then you would play historically the best team in the conference to balance Alabama. Vanderbilt and Alabama obviously is, is a longtime rival, uh, and you want to keep that intact. Uh, Kentucky is a longtime rival, and geographically it makes sense. But I've seen uh, I've seen alternates for that third team. Instead of Kentucky, a South Carolina, because there's just sort of an odd man out in some pairings. Um, I've seen Florida because that's more of a last 30 years rival. Auburn is a historic rival. Again, not recently, but back in the day. Georgia makes a little bit of sense. If you're playing Georgia, Alabama, and Vanderbilt, though, that's a little lopsided. Uh, I I do think there's some strategy with Josh Heupel saying – uh, Vandy, Kentucky and Alabama make sense uh, for Tennessee because more times than not, especially historically, you're going to go two and one in those three games. So you sacrifice the loss to Alabama fine, but at least historically speaking, there's worse uh, second opponents uh, in those three than uh, than Kentucky. You're going to beat those t- beat beat them more than not. All that being said, Tennessee, I think, favors the one seven model, which is is losing momentum pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, of course they do. A 1-7 model with three MAC opponents, and they're well on their way uh, to a quality bowl game. John, what do you think about the possibility, the strong possibility at this point, I think, of the, the Florida-Tennessee rivalry that you covered in its heyday in, in the 90s likely dropping off the docket on an annual basis? Now, of course, even if they're not one of their permanent rivals, they would still play once every two years but what do you think about the possibility the now likely possibility that tennessee and florida once this new model is approved won't won't play every season
0: well the thing about the florida tennessee rivalry it started with the divisional setup in 1992 and it just the timing was perfect for rivalry because uh steve spurrier came in and uh Johnny Majors and Philip former really got the program rolling for Tennessee. Those were the glory days for Tennessee football post general Nealon. So yeah, I would, I would miss that rivalry somewhat because there just been a lot of a lot of really interesting games, some strange games. Uh, I'm sure if I'm the, if I were the Tennessee coach, I would be going hallelujah for, for whatever reason, Tennessee, just hasn't had much success against florida and i could understand in the 90s but even when even when florida hasn't been that good in, in the will Muschamp era tennessee couldn't beat will Muschamp. i mean florida had some quarterbacks starting it weren't really sec quarterbacks and they just always prevail sometimes it was the last second so uh other times in one-sided games but yeah if i'm if i'm the tennessee coach i'd be uh in fact, I, I would love the uh, I would love Kentucky and Vanderbilt. You don't want those rivalries, or you cherish those. And if you could get maybe slip Missouri in there instead of Alabama, I think you, the coach would be ecstatic.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, guys, because on the surface, I think a move to a nine-game conference schedule, you think, okay, well, that's going to make the schedule tougher. You're going from eight conference games to nine conference games. However, There has been some talk around the conference that a move to a nine-game schedule would include the option to not play a Power Five opponent in the non-conference. Now, for a lot of teams, that's not really an option. I mean, like Florida, Florida State, they're going to play every year. Uh, Whether it's an eight-game conference schedule, nine, doesn't matter. Florida and Florida State are playing every year. Florida's publicly said that. You know, other games, Georgia, Georgia Tech, I have to imagine, is going to continue Uh, And Georgia will probably play another Power Five non-conference opponent. Clemson, South Carolina. There's so many games non-conference that you think would probably continue. But Tennessee doesn't have that like ACC school they're linked up with to play in an annual non-conference game. So I could see a situation in which this nine-game conference schedule goes through, and yet if there's an option to not play a Power Five non-conference game, Tennessee maybe would consider exercising that to where they're still only playing nine power five opponents and and in some years maybe their schedule would be more manageable than it is now. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, it it could be more manageable. I think you're taking a fun element, uh, an interesting element out of the out of, out of the the scheduling situation. I mean, that non-conference game against a power 5 to me has been something that you know most schools uh enjoy uh most fan bases enjoy i mean think about the non-conference um from the past few years uh for for tennessee i mean oregon virginia tech georgia tech west virginia byu should have been byu again i mean there are numerous options there of fun trips sort of attractive uh attractive matchups and if you're if you're taking that off the table, which I think will be a little bit of a negotiation to appease the, the teams that want the one seven, then you're taking a fun element out of the, out of the situation. I don't like that. I like the non-conference game against the power five. And if you're going to dilute the schedule, um, to me, you're almost taking, you're, you're, you're doing two bads to make a right. And that, that just doesn't come out in the wash.
0: I, I guess, uh, the counterpoint to that would be for from the UT administration. Well, now we have to play Oklahoma and Texas, and so those are like uh, attractive non-conference Power Five games. So they would just say, "You you can get that." That would be a new trip for Tennessee fans to go to Austin. Be a new trip. Well, they've been to Oklahoma recently, but that's a that's a fun experience. So that would be the option. And you look at the way Tennessee, to me, has always scheduled, historically has scheduled really good non-conference opponents. It it has a long history of that, perhaps better than most of the teams in the conference. Yet the what we're seeing lately uh, indicates a shift because you had a game with the Army, a home game, not a Power 5 team, but kind of a, I think to some people they, it was appealing to play army to, uh, you know, and, uh, but scratch that and put in Akron, one of the, uh, you know, pretty much of a punching bag. And then now they've canceled the trip to BYU. I think, uh, the BYU game is you are looking for attractive trips. That would be a great, that would be a great trip for fans. And so you're doing away with that. Um, so I would, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Tennessee took that option and went with three uh, three MAC opponents. Maybe put a UT Martin in there occasionally, or Tennessee Tech, or whoever.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I think most teams in the conference would still play at least one Power Five non conference opponent. I mentioned some of those SEC ACC rivalries, and even for programs that don't have that, I mean Alabama is going to play a marquee non conference game. Every year, uh, I think, you know, LSU would would play a marquee non-conference game every year, probably Texas A&M. So if you run down the line, I think most of the quote unquote halves would be playing a marquee non-conference game every year. So I think if you're Tennessee, you have to decide, OK, are we one of the big boys or are we going to try to do what like a Missouri might do and say or Kentucky? Or Kentucky, yeah, and they'd say we'll play our, our nine conference games, but no more. We're not going to play a non conference team. Uh, that's that's from the Power Five. You got to decide who you're rolling with. Uh, but I agree with you, John. Their their recent moves in scheduling, canceling Army and canceling BYU, suggests that they might gravitate toward the most manageable path possible, which would be playing nine con- nine conference games. If that's the way the SEC goes, but saying OK, no more.
2: Well, well, and I think we're talking about essentially a voting block that uh, I think Tennessee is in the half of the conference, uh, roughly half that wants the one to seven model. I think they're going to lose out. I think it's shifted more to a three six. OK, you don't have the votes there. That's fine. But then if you're then going to the second conversation and saying, OK, if we're doing the three six model in conference, then we're, we're not going to have the requirement of playing a power five and non-conference. And again, that's the bargaining tool. The problem is I I don't know that that half that wanted the one seven model, if all that half or even more would have that requirement of having uh, no power five non-conference. So I I think you're diluting the voting block every uh, every level that you go into. So I don't know that there would be um, again, because you have enough teams, like as you mentioned, that already are going to be playing a power five as a as a non-conference rivalry. You're, you're not really I don't know that you're going to have that much uh, uh, that much support to, to go forward with what Tennessee what I would think what they would want. You know there's also the question too of do fans um, do fans fans care about the schedule at the beginning of the season? Hey, who are you playing? What am I looking forward to? What games am I circling on my calendar? What trip am I planning that I haven't gone to before? But at the end of the season, it's not that discussion. It's more of what your record was. So, hey, I want a trip at the beginning of the season, but I also want eight wins at the end of the year. And what, what happens at the end of the year usually dictates whether or not fans care about this. And and just, again, I completely understand Tennessee why they would want uh, only weak non-conference games because you you don't want six and six. You don't want seven and five to be the norm. You want eight, nine wins, and you you do that through non-conference scheduling. Scheduling uh, three and oh and and – In that case, uh, in non-conference, the old Mark Stoops approach:
1: schedule yourself to to uh, the easiest way you can in non-conference, and and beat the teams that you should beat in conference play. Lose to the ranked teams, and lo and behold, you might have nine wins at the end of the season. So, yeah,
0: Blake, uh, one one of the I was just thinking about this. So when you're talking about the Tennessee playing the three permanent rivals, most likely is... as as Josh Heupel pointed out, it would be Kentucky, Vanderbilt, and Alabama. However, what if we take Clark Lee at his word? He's He talked at uh, Media Days about building a championship program there. That could kind of upset the apple cart. If suddenly Tennessee is playing two national powers in Alabama and Vanderbilt, and Mark Stoops keeps it going at Kentucky, that could be tough sledding. Yeah, maybe we are saying – not given enough credit for just
1: how sturdy this three three opponent uh, slate would be but no i've not taken much that clark lee said seriously and in fact i think this three opponent draw if this is indeed the draw we don't know that for certain but there would be some logic in it as adam has pointed out i think it's actually a pretty favorable draw would be a favorable draw for tennessee because yes if things continue down the path they've been going most years that Alabama game is is going to be an L but you get Vanderbilt and Kentucky that's i mean there's a lot of teams in the conference that if you said if you asked their head football coach hey which which rivals do you want to play on a on an annual basis they'd be trying to convince you that they had a long standing rivalry with Vanderbilt and Kentucky even if they didn't they'd want them on their docket so i think it works out to Tennessee's favor that they do actually have longstanding series against Vanderbilt and Kentucky and, and they can get them likely on, on their list of, of annual opponents. I mean, you got to play somebody every, every year. And if it's, you know, if you're choosing, if you're looking at, at who your choices are, I think those would be uh, two of the teams you would want, despite the the momentum that, that Kentucky has under Mark Stoops. But guys, I asked about the the Florida game and, and obviously the, the Georgia game would be one that would be, Played on an on an every other year basis as well, uh, under under this system we're talking about, and and would not be played every year. How much of a loss do you think games against Georgia and and Florida annually would be for fans, or do you think as long as you keep the third Saturday in October going, you keep Vanderbilt Tennessee going, fans will be fine with other rivalry type games moving to an every other year status i know john you said you'd like to see the florida tennessee game continue every year but but what do you think the fan response would be to those games against teams like florida and georgia not being played annually but in other words every every other year
2: florida i don't think would be that big of a deal really in either scenario if if tennessee was to get the upper hand against florida let's say this year next year in their they win those well then you can say the the hex is over and you got the last laugh and now it's just every other year so the uh, that's fine and if you lose to florida the next couple of years then you say good riddance i don't want to play that one anymore um so the, the florida thing i think is is dated enough that there's i don't think there's that much of a connection uh to that game um george a little different i mean i think i think um, I think that could be a little bit of a good riddance game for a lot of people because I think Georgia is going to be really, really good. And in the national title conversation, as long as Kirby Smart's there and as long as they're recruiting like they are, um, I, you know, I, I think if Tennessee is back to a national power, and that's a big if, if they ever get back there, then you want to play that Georgia game. But I just, until that happens, I think it's better that they're off the schedule. I think you almost look at them in the same way, um, you know, that you would look at uh, playing an LSU or somebody like that. Really, really good team. You want to play them some. There's no reason to play them every other year.
0: I think of Georgia as a as a convenient trip for Tennessee fans, but it's not as convenient as it used to be because it's almost impossible to get a room at a reasonable rate in Athens, Georgia. Uh, I We used to stay there. Now we stay in Atlanta and drive over. and You, you deal with the traffic and all. It's just not it to me. I think fans would see it the same way. Um, it, it's it's a close enough rivalry, and and here's the thing too about that Georgia. Georgia hasn't dominated now; it has just recently, but the the lo- there's not that long-standing lopsided rivalry going on like between Alabama and Florida. Tennessee's had some some of its most impressive wins have come against Georgia. Uh, the Hail Mary that Joshua Dobbs threw to Jawan Jennings is a is an epic play now in, in Tennessee football lore. So I think a lot of fans would, would miss playing Georgia. I mean, it's such – it it's – what is it, 250 miles away? That's uh, – yeah, if, if Georgia's good all the time and it's Alabama-like, I guess fans will say good reddits.
1: Yeah, actually, I think, you know, as Adam mentioned earlier – I think fans really look forward to the the power five non-conference game. And so if Tennessee were to exercise an option to not play a power five non-conference opponent, I think fans would really miss that. I do think fans will be fine if Florida and Georgia have to go to every other year, some may welcome it because especially from Georgia's perspective, they're, they're a a rising juggernaut here. So maybe, maybe Tennessee fans don't want to see Georgia every year anymore. Um, But even the ones that I think would like to keep games like that going every year would say it's fine. Play them every other year. Maybe one year you get Georgia, one year you get Florida. That's okay. but don't take the Power Five non-conference game away. All right, guys, I want to switch gears for a few minutes here because um, uh, we do still have preseason practice going on as Tennessee progresses toward that Thursday night season opener against Ball State. Adam, you had some reporting recently, some roster movement for Tennessee. Lynn J. Dixon, the transfer running back who had been at Clemson, eh, he came and gone like a shooting star. You, If you blinked, you missed it. Um, where does that leave Tennessee's running back room? And should we read much into this failed experiment with, with Lynn J. Dixon, uh, the transfer?
2: Yeah, I mean, you could see of the of the practices that were open to the media or the sessions that were, you could see the body language wasn't good. It wasn't, I, I didn't see really an attitude problem, but he looked like a really athletic walk on. And, and, and by that, I mean, looked the part, but was not part of the, of the main rotation. You could tell how far uh, Lynn J. Dixon was behind everybody else. He had to learn the tempo. He had to learn the playbook. Even the two freshmen got a huge jump on him. One of those freshmen was here in the spring and all off season. The other one got here in the summer. So they were just really months ahead of him. And so for him to catch up, it was probably going to be mid season or was going to probably require an injury uh, for him to, to get ahead of those other guys. And for a guy that had a, you know, uh, basically a year left of college football, I, I don't think that appealed to him that much. Um, he, was, he, he looked like he was going to be more of an emergency back than anything. And a guy that's been – was at Clemson for four years, I don't think that's necessarily what he was looking for. It it potentially creates a problem with Tennessee because an SEC team should have more than four scholarship running backs going into a season. And, you know, I've, I've been asked this week, well, what? who cares who the fifth running back is? And a lot of times that doesn't matter. It It can, though. Uh, think about last season. The fifth running back was Marcus Pierce. He had 30 some odd carries over the year, uh, over the season. Uh, most of those were in blowouts. He had 11 carries against Missouri. That was a blowout. But, you know, he had three carries against Ole Miss. And you say, well, so what? Three carries. But that was a nip and tuck game that was decided essentially on the last play. And Tyon Evans did not play in that game. Jalen Wright did not play in that game. So he had two backs out. And so you had three guys that played, which is normal. And so you had to go down to your third back for three critical plays in a very, very close game. And that can decide a win or loss for you. So does that fifth running back matter? Maybe not. But if you ask that question in November, it it certainly can. Right now their fifth running back would be Patrick Wilk, uh, who was at NBA, uh, Montgomery Bell Academy in Nashville, actually covered a couple of his high school games capable back but he's he's welcome and you don't want it to have to go down uh, to that they have alternate plans which i i, I think would probably include like a, a jimmy holiday a former running quarterback in high school and he's a kick returner jimmy Callaway, who's got some ability princeton fant a little bit i mean but none of these are good options and also we're talking about the fifth running back. That that means the third and fourth running back absolutely have to play in at least one, probably both of them at some point in the main rotation and freshman running back at best, you're supposed to have one of them play and not play a starring role. You're Now that your numbers are dwindled, you don't have the luxury of redshirting a guy. They're both going to play. They're going to play meaningful snaps. Um, and, you know, once you have an injury, a couple of injuries, uh, you know, it it's gonna get it's gonna get dicey. Uh, last year, I mean, COVID had a hand in that. There were guys that missed games because of COVID. They get guys that missed games because of injuries. Tyon Evans transferred late in the year with with a transfer portal. You never count on it, but it 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 happens. It happens more times than not. And so Jabari Small, I don't think you can count on being healthy the whole year and taking the punishment that he's going to. Jalen Wright was has been injured in the preseason. So that tells you right there that you could have an issue with him in injuries. And the other two are freshmen who are you know, going to have quite a bit of a, an adjustment to the physicality of the SEC. So that's that's a knock on all four guys of possible injury status, and that gets you to the fifth running back who does not exist on this roster.
1: Yeah, that's that's the way I see this. If everybody stays healthy and nobody transfers, Tennessee won't miss Len J. Dixon one bit. Uh, but Tennessee obviously added him for a reason and I think they knew he wasn't going to be their number one or number two running back, so they added him for depth. And so, as you said, if you do encounter injuries or transfers throughout the season, then maybe you do find out like in October or November that, hey, we could have used that guy after all. But, of course, Tennessee wanted him. It was lin Dixon. I mean, he decided to be here and be gone. John, how will you remember the Linjay Dixon era? Does it stack up with any of the, the long successful tenures of past Tennessee stars or uh where is this
0: one ranked for you Uh, I think Adam wrote it he was here eight 18 days so uh you know maybe I could get a column out of it uh the 18 days of Lynn J Dixon and just give highlights from each day uh I wonder why Tennessee really I don't know how I don't know why they would have expected much from Lynn J Dixon I'm kind of when. When you think about, it, I mean, he didn't play at West Virginia; he hardly so. I I don't know why they thought he would be this great option, and to come in and learn this system right away. I don't know why did Tennessee ever thought he would be a very good option, but but I think you can always uh, you can always find a running back, and and now in today's transfer era. I haven't looked at the depth charts of all these SEC teams, so I don't know how well they, they would stack up with Tennessee. But When you start talking about a fifth running back at most of these places, I, I don't know how good an option any of them would be.
2: Well, well, I said when Lynn J. Dixon was first signed uh, at Tennessee again, yeah, three weeks ago. If your if your jersey number is higher than the number of days you're on campus, that's not a good, <laughs> not a good, good thing. <laughs> he was uh, he was number twenty three, I think. Uh, so he, he almost got there for just one more week. So,
0: uh, so if we put a score by, we would say 23 to 18.
2: Yes. Yeah, it, it was a close game. It was, yeah. Lynn was... Jay
0: lost, lost a close game, 23 to 18. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, but
2: but I mean, I, I said this at the time, is that with Leneath Whitehead suffering a season-ending injury, Leneath Whitehead was a power back, a short yardage back, and their best pass protector. So what they needed, and, and they're two freshmen, or have good skill sets, but both of them, their number one weakness is pass protection and, and they're, you know, you need a physical back anyway. And so what they needed, if you had to draw it up for what their fifth running back would be, it would be a physical, big short yardage back who could pass protect. And Lynn J. Dixon was an undersized fast third down back who was not known as a pass protector. He was actually the opposite of what they were looking for. <laughs> which tells you there weren't really many decent options out there. They basically said, let's get a guy that we know can play at an sec level because he's played at Clemson and we'll have him hang around for a couple of months and we'll, maybe we'll need him around Halloween. And I think, I think maybe Lynn J Dixon thought, no, that's not, that's not what I was looking for. Uh, and so, you know, it, it you're going to limit yourself too. Here's the other thing: if you, let's say, you lose a couple of backs to injury, which happens almost every year, I mean, even for a game or two, if you're left with the freshman, you're basically saying these guys can run the ball, but they can't pass protect. And so it changes the dynamic of the game prep and how your opponent sees you. You just you run short on options of, of what you can do, and that's even bigger issue than going to the fifth back. It's that. Once you whittle it down, your your options of what the skill sets, the running backs you have are, are very, very limited. That that could come into play as well.
0: Blake, do you think uh, maybe Tennessee could get Quaveras Crouch to transfer back from Michigan State? I always saw him, although he's a linebacker. I saw him as a Power back on third down, and they used him some in that row
1: Yeah, you you thought Cervera's crouch was the next Jim Brown, John? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, I got the solution to it. I mean, John wrote a column this week for KnoxNews.com that you know Hinden Hinden for Heisman basically was was John's column that a little early uh, early positioning for Hinden Hooker for the Heisman Trophy. So solution is just stick a tight end back there uh, in the, in the backfield protect him hooker and let him sling it and uh try to start marching toward a heisman campaign but uh lynn j dixon is out we are out for now we'll be back with you next week thanks for listening to this edition of the volunteer state
0: just gonna run this dog
1: to see if we can find any type of uh
0: human remains that are left.